0: There's been something that's been happening in my life, just recently, that is extraordinary. And to understand how extraordinary it is, you got to understand. Some of you have already heard this, so I'll move quickly. But, but you got to understand where I started from in the Lord. Uh, prior to 19 years old, I rarely thought about the Lord, and if I thought about the Lord, which was rare, it was it's stupid. It's a crutch. Why would anybody want to do that? If somebody want to do that, I. Fine, on, but that's just dumb. That's how I thought, and like I said, I just rarely even thought about it. I wasn't like a very like, God, it's so stupid. You know, I wasn't. I wasn't in people's grill on it. I was just sort of this is stupid, and why would anybody do that? And that's just very much where I lived, and and that's who I was. And then, uh, 19 years old, I'm living in Vale, Colorado, and uh, I had this thing that was needed. I needed something kind of solemn, and I didn't have anything solemn in my life. I needed something that was kind of serious, and I didn't have anything serious in my life. And so I, it just all of a sudden, it popped into my head, and trust me, I hadn't thought about God in probably two or three years before that. But it just popped into my head, well, the only person that would care about this if he's there is God. And so literally, my first prayer, my first anything with God, which I did not think was going to be with God at all. It was literally the first words out of my mouth were, and the prayer was only about four or five words longer than this, but it was, it was, God, if you are there. That was my first words. And then I said a few more words which aren't important for this sermon, so I'm not going into it, but the bottom line is, is that, is that I was with Julie, and I opened my eyes, and I said, somebody was there which was a shock. I mean I mean you just can't I can't I can tell you that to this day that was almost 40 years ago to this day I can feel what I felt in the moment that I felt him listening. And I said somebody's there and Julie went, "Yeah, of course." And I went, "No, you don't understand. Somebody's there." Well, yeah, of course. No, 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 you you know. <laughs> But I was like, somebody is there, and, and I really want to make this, cert- I want to run around, emphasize this because this is the important part of this. I want to tell you that he wasn't just listening in an abstract or disconnected or I'm just here and I'm just listening. It was, I was filled with his love for me. That's one of the reasons why it hit me so, you know what I mean? It was like, I, not only was he listening, but it was clear to me instantly that he was all for me. I mean, everything that I had was a gift from him, even some stuff that wasn't so good for me. Everything. He was giving me, and I had, at that moment in time, a ton. I mean, I had everything, honestly. I I, I, I just want to make it clear, my my salvation moment wasn't because I was in some need and I cried out to the Lord. It was precisely the opposite of that. I didn't have any need at all. And I just said that and it was clear that he was the one that had provided everything for me and it started, as Humphrey Bogart said at the end of Casablanca, that was the beginning of a beautiful friendship. And I want to say that was almost 40 years ago now and I can say this before the Lord. I don't, I just, you know, your word's supposed to be your word but I I just want you to understand I've sought in my heart to know if the Lord would point out to me a time where this was not true. But for 40 years I can tell you I have never not loved him. And I've had difficult times. I've had times that I've heard other people say, I'm mad at God because. And I've had times that I could have easily done that. And I'm not saying I'm better or worse. I'm just saying, just for me, just the way, I think it had something to do with how it started. I can tell you in 40 years, no matter what has happened, no matter how difficult it's been, it has always felt to me that he was for me. Even when I was messing up as royally as you could. He was always for me. I always knew that. That he was, that he loved me. And I loved him back. Now that's 40 years, that's a long time. And it's grown, right? So it hadn't just stayed that, that one love experience and then kind of, you know, as love can do, kind of waxed and waned. And no, it, it has been a fairly steady progress, with not completely, but you know, fairly steady increase in that sense. But I have to tell you, At the beginning of this year, something started to shift. Don't be afraid. It's a good thing it wasn't. (laughs) Something started to shift in me. And I'm telling you, in the last, I'm going to say, month, but it's probably been six weeks now, I'm 40 years in now, and in the last six weeks, I've been learning something about his love That is, all of that love was very real, very genuine, very honest, very substantial, substantive, the whole nine yards. But I'm telling you what I'm feeling, and that's the right thing. What I'm feeling and learning from what I'm feeling from him at this point in time is transcendent to everything that I've felt for the last 39 years. Completely transcendent and if I had to describe it it would run something like this some of you may remember Dave Brunk doing a sermon on Song of Solomon some years ago I do and the reason why it stuck with me because he took Song of Solomon he did the best job of Song of Solomon I've ever heard anywhere by far people take it as a sex manual that's just stupid it is it's really stupid Solomon was a fallen human being and if you're taking sex advice from Solomon good luck with your walk look where it left him I mean that. That's what people will do with it now. They make it sexual. And I'm not saying there's not sexual things in it. There clearly is. But, you know, there's better people to learn from than Solomon. Okay? About a lot of things, frankly. Uh, but anyway, well, having said that, I just want to, I just want you to understand in the Song of Solomon, what, what he pointed out was, what Dave pointed out was that there's a, a three-part structure to the book. And what happens is, is there's a lot of information about the lovers, right, the bride and the groom. And, they're coming to, and it comes to this place where all of a sudden there's this moment and this is the culmination of this first section and the bride says, I am my beloved's and he is mine. What does that mean? Does it tell me a better way to say, the groom loves me and I love him. I am my beloved's. That's a better way to say it than I love you, isn't it? That's like a more powerful, more strong. It means all for me. I am my beloved's. He's got me. And he is mine. I've got him. See that? And then it it starts over again. The story does. And it it builds and it builds and it builds to this moment where once again the bride says, I am my beloved's and he is mine. But then we get to the third part. And the third part is, is where the bride starts to realize the kind of love that the groom has and how much it transcends the love that she ever even could have. She loves him with everything she's got, heart, mind, soul, and strength. But that there's a love that is coming from the groom that transcends everything that she could possibly love back. And at the very end of the book, what she says is, is, I am my beloved. You see it? He's got me. He holds me. It's not that I don't love him back. It's that my love back isn't the point. It's so much less than, even though it's everything I've got. His love for me holds me. Now, if I I want to tell you what I think has been happening in the last year, it's that I've been starting to feel a love that no matter my faults, and that is never an excuse for faults, somebody would say, well, then don't worry about the sin. No, worry about the sin and get rid of it and everything. But just understand something, God is so transcendent of your sin. Jesus Christ is so transcendent. His love is so transcendent. He loved me before there was a me. And he knew everything that I was going to do in the whole of my life and He loved me completely. There's a New Testament way of saying this, and it goes like this: John is talking in one of his letters to people, and he's saying, he's saying, look, when you're a child and you meet God, it's so exciting, isn't it? It's just awesome, isn't it? It's incredible. And he repeats that another time. and talks about how wonderful it is. And then he says to young men, you know, young men, young men and women, you know, people that are mature, that they're they're past it just being awesome and they're starting to do something for God and isn't it incredible the things you're able to do in changing the world and making a difference isn't this marvelous and wonderful but then John comes back and two times he says this enigmatic statement where he says I'm writing to you fathers because you've come to know the one who is from the beginning and I want to say that towards the end of a life and I'm not at my end but I'm closer to that than I am at the well, I'm at the start, I think, right? Unless I happen to live way longer than I want to. You get the point, and and the point is is that all the, there's this shift that's happening in my life, where I'm starting to look back and I'm starting to see things and I'm starting to realize. This God who's been carrying me, this, you know the sand the two footprints in the sand, right? No, there's only one footprint. He's been carrying you from day one. And he loves you that much and he's been holding you from day one. And that's, that's the most awesome thing that I've ever felt in my life. I have have the greatest wife ever, no offense to any wives here, but you know. But I mean, and I love her and she loves me. And I mean, I've felt incredible things and I have loved God for 40 years. And I just wanna tell you, I have never, I've never felt what I'm feeling right now of a love from God. It's always been there, by the way. I was just busy doing things, making a difference for him because he is mine. <laughs> and now I'm discovering his hold on me. I want you to know that. And I want to tell you that everything we're doing in this series, everything we ever do at this church... Is about that. It's about that. Today we're going to take one slice of it. It in some ways is pretty small, serving. But I'm going to show you something about serving that makes all of this so much more real in your life, so much greater. So much more. Oh my gosh, I know how to enter into this now. So that's where we're headed today, okay? So with that, uh, Andrew, who's camp? Awesome! You need to give him a mic. Uh, Thank you, Alex. Uh, Andrew, whose camp, uh, how many years have you been doing youth now? (laughs) Five years here, and then before that, and he's been all kinds of stuff in ministry in the community and all kinds of things that one of my favorite people in the world preached here more than once. Uh, Just absolutely love Andrew, a joy in life. So would you stand up? Would you pray for the sermon? Would you pray for another ministry? So Lord, um, we just thank you for being here with us today. And we ask that you will be speaking through Kurt and speaking into our heart, Lord, um, all of our hearts. And we just want to lift up Rainier Avenue Church and the work that they do within their community and for their kids. And we just ask that you're with them and that you're here with us. So, Lord, thank you. We love you. Amen. Rainier Avenue Church is a church that is, uh, you know, uh, in an impoverished neighborhood. Uh, You come from where? What state, just yell it out, Montana. So there's not like there's a lot of urban settings in Montana, but I want to tell you from the moment that I met both of you guys, Andrew and Michelle, their heart has always been for d- deep urban ministry. And um, they're doing a lot of that here. And I just want to say thank you for your hearts, thank you for what you guys do. It's awesome, I love you, you're heroes. Right. You're choke me up, The verklempt, talk amongst yourselves. Um, I love the one that was it was uh, Rhode Island it's neither a road nor an island talk amongst yourselves alright so we're in our series Empowered and Empowered is real simple is that is this fire is coming down upon God wants to come down upon each one of us and then he wants to move through us in a way that's going to make a difference in the world right so that's what we've been talking about we're talking about it for a long time why because it's really important I think it's worth two or three years of our lives to learn how to do this better. I think it's worth every day of the rest of your life to learn how to do this better. I think every day of the rest of your life ought to be learning how to do this better. So that's what we're doing, okay? Now, in the middle of it, we're doing these sort of mini-series. And the one that we're on right now is called Essentials. And if you would do me a favor, in front of you, and we're doing this to try and conserve some paper, in front of you is this. So pull this out. It's in, it's in the seat in front of you, okay? Pull this out. And we're doing this because if you've not picked one of these up, please do. If you want two or three of them, pick them up. I don't care. But if you're not going to keep them, then please be sure and put them back in the seat. We're going to collect them. I'm going to give you guys one. It's lovely to see you. <laughs> love you. Hand me another one when you get a chance, okay? But, but the point is, is that what we're doing with this is, is we're calling this Essentials, and, and I love you. as Joe here? She is. I saw her probably going to change the name because of what I'm about to say right now. So I love you. And we've been working on this. I don't know if we're going to do it or not. But here's the deal. I want to make something clear. Here's what this is not. This is not if you do these six things, you'll be close to God. It does, things don't work that way in the Lord. They work the opposite way. Here's what happens. The reasons why we call these essentials, the reasons why we've come up with these is because we sat down and we said, why do, what do people do when they're very close to the Lord? What are the natural things that they just do? Not, not what do they do to get there. When they're there, when they're fully in the Lord, what are the things that just happen in a life, right? Thinking that helping people get to know how to do those things will help them be closer to the Lord. But that ultimately the spirit is not, I do this in order to get. The spirit is, these are the things that I enter into as I am in that close place with God. And then we came up with the six. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm supposed to have a slide up here. Uh, It's Sunday church, Sunday morning church we talked about last week. Small groups, serving, devos, three-folds, outreach. There's other things that are important too, but not just us identified that. Reveal, spending a couple of million dollars identified. These are the six things that people that are truly what they call uh, Christ-centered, meaning Christ is all in their life. These are the things that these people just do because it's like breathing. That man is not led by bread alone, but by every word and reading the word and, and so on. And so the, we, we call them essentials because they seem to be essential to that kind of walk. But I almost want to change the name, and this is what we'll have to discuss, to response. Or natural response. I don't even have a good name for it right now. But what is that? Could an, could an usher help me out there? <laughs> Somebody's out there whistling. (laughs) Yeah, that's funny. All right. But the the point is, is I want us to think about these things as, and if you're stuck on one of them, we want to give you help, and we're doing lots of things to try and get there. But the point is, is, I want you to think about these six things as, this is the natural response when you're in love. Like when you're in love with somebody, don't you do certain things You give them things, and you spend time with them, and you talk to them. And there's certain things that you do that say, I'm in love, right? That's when when they stop happening in marriage is when, you know, you get a little help, right? So when you're in love, you do certain things. And these are the things that you do, love responses. Maybe that's the right name for it. Joe, could you write that? Or Wanda, could you write that down, love responses? Thank you. So you get what these are. Now, last week, we looked at one of them, and that was Sunday church. And we're not doing them in order. Remember, I told you something. We came up with what order we wanted to do them in this fall. And we were going to do them as standalone announcements. But when I got to this section of Scripture and I looked at what the ones were, I went, oh, my gosh, look at that. They fit like a glove. So as God would lead, we're doing it as God would lead with the Luke passages and so on as part of the sermons. And last week we did the Sunday sermon, and, and, or Sunday morning, and what I want to say about it, I just pre- need to briefly review this. What we said about it was, is we said that the thing that you have to understand about Sunday church and church in general is this. There is this physical dimension in which we live. And then there is this spiritual dimension that's greater than. And in fact, everything in the spiritual came from the spiritual. I mean, everything in the physical came from the spiritual. This is the greater dimension. But something happened in the garden. There was a split between the kingdom of God realm stuff and the kingdom of the world stuff. And so we live in this realm now, and this realm is still here, but it's Christians that are connected to God that are going after the things of the kingdom of God that are then restoring what he had in the garden. Remember, in the garden, they walked every day in the physical realm, but seeing God, remember? Physical and spiritual, we're married. But now they're separated. You don't see him. So what we're doing in church, what, we, what church is about is going after the things of God so much that we're bringing the things of God into the world in a way that they begin to manifest him. So the world can see it too. You see it? That's what Sunday morning church is all about. Now, like I say, the second one that we're doing, the one that we're doing today is serving. And I want to say something about serving. Some people serve just naturally. Roger Maddox, where'd you spend your Saturday? Would you just yell it out? Where'd you spend Saturday? Doing what? Sorry, I, took, I stole your gift from heaven. I'll try and make it up to you. Yep, there you go. But he was in an office because we're moving some people around in the office and we needed to do some stuff. And Roger was fixing stuff in the office along with Lori Worlius has been doing that for weeks. Along, you know, Julie Brunk, she just helps people. It's just what she does. Chris Maddox, there's several people, Josh Morris. There's several people in this church that just have this natural gift of giving. And given that that's such a wonderful thing to do for people, I wish everybody had that. But really, it's about how many people would say you just naturally have that gift where you want to help people. You like helping people. It's not a sacrifice. You just like doing it. How many people? That's actually pretty high. Normally, it would be about 15% of the population. Okay? The people that don't want to help apparently don't come here anymore. (laughs) Oh, well. (laughs) There are the rest of us who do actually still come here. Who's serving, it's a sacrifice. I have to get outside of what I want to do and what I had planned. And I have to to do something tangible in order to head into a different realm. Okay? Joel, there's somebody sitting right behind you who I think you might want to do in a threefold. Would you remind me about this? And would you guys just talk to me after service? I'm so sorry, but I've been thinking and praying about this for a long time. And all of a sudden I sat there and I went, wow, those guys would really get along. (laughs) So, is, what's that? No. Sorry. I'm not ADD. <laughs> squirrel. <laughs> he said squirrel. I don't know if you've seen the Facebook thing, but squirrel. <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah, there you go. Self-diagnosed doesn't count. Okay. Uh, but here's what I want to say. Is There's people that do it naturally. But then there's people that know that they should be doing it, and so they make sacrifices, and they do it, and they make choices, and they work through it, and so on, right? And that is the majority of the population. Now, when we think that way, I mean, if I, before this sermon, if I were to just interview, why do you serve? The vast majority of people, particularly the ones that aren't in that 15%, would say this, because it has to be done, because somebody needs to do it, because I feel like maybe God's telling me I'm supposed to be the one that's going to do it, it has to be done, so I'm going to do it something like that. You see what I'm saying? It would be something along the lines of it has to be done. So somebody's got to do it, so why not me? And, then, and that's how people are, right? They're fairly generous. And they're, they understand that chairs need to be set up and boulders need to be handed out and stuff needs to happen, right? So that's why people serve. That's the spirit in which they serve. But remember when we just talked about we're going at it from the wrong direction What if there was another direction that you could come at serving from? And I want to be really careful here because in a little bit, I'm going to talk about what churches do with this, which I think is really bad. But for right now, I want to lay the groundwork. I want to show you something that happened in our series, that happened in Luke, that happened in the real world. I want to show you something that happened to a bunch of guys who were in ministry and serving. And here's how it goes, real quick. When the apostles returned from where? A ministry trip. He'd sent them out two by two, and they'd spent time ministering. And when they got back, they were tired. And Mark says literally that he took them away to a private place because, to rest because they were tired. So it says when the apostles returned, they reported Jesus all they'd done. He took them along and withdrew privately a town called Bethsaida. And that is in order to, you see what I mean? It was in order to give them rest. Now, what happened? Well, crowds, we, we know from another story, what happened was people found out they were in a boat going across to a private place, and they came around the lake and met them there. So when they got there, the crowds found out, and here's what Jesus did. He said, oh, jeez, bedtime. I was just getting these guys away for a little break, and could you come back tomorrow? or Give it a couple of days, okay, so we can get rested up, and then we're good. We'll, we'll be here. Don't worry, but just give it a couple of days. That's what Jesus said, right, because that's how he does things, right? So instead, what it actually says, and again, in one of the other stories in the accounting of this, it says, Jesus looked upon these people that had gathered, and he said, they look like sheep that had no shepherd. And compassion welled up with him. And that's a really important point. I want you to understand. Jesus didn't just do it because it had to be done. Something in him told him he was supposed to do something. Compassion, spoknitzomai, that word that we use all the time, of gut turning. He saw something, and his heart moved, and he knew he was supposed to do something, so he did something. See? Now, he welcomed them, spoke to them about the kingdom of God, and cured those who needed healing. Right? Now, late in the day, the twelve approached him and said to him, send the crowd away so they can go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find food and lodging. Because we're in a desperate deserted place here. Now, when, when they say this, can you hear just a little bit? It is true what they're saying, right? It's not that they're saying something is untrue. They, the people need food. And there's, there's, we've turned out there's 5,000 plus women and children, so what is there? 7,500, 10,000 or more? That's a lot of people, and there's no food out here in this deserted place. And so when they say this, it's a real thing. But can you also hear a little bit of we're tired? Can you? I think it's there. I think it's fair to say that it's there. I like their response to what he then says, because what he says is, you give them something to eat. Now, now watch. I want you to process something for a quick second here. First of all, if you just do whatever, if you just do everything that's ever asked of you, how will it go for you? Poorly. People that have a gift of helps tend to do whatever comes before them. And how many of those people, you guys said you had a gift of helps, how many of you have ever found yourself in a burned out place? See? Right? So you're not supposed to just do everything. You're supposed to do whatever <laughs> moves on you. Has God quickened this to you? But I, but I want to take that a little bit deeper. I want us to go... When I got here, I had been doing, I don't know how many ministries, add them up with me. I was serving at one church in Jackson Hole. I was the head pastor at a church that was in trouble in Lander, Wyoming, so it was a troubled church, so there was a lot of work to be done because the pastor had gotten removed suddenly, and I had to find a new pastor and do all kinds of stuff, and also keep them together because the thing that happened was very explosive. So I was serving at one church that was having a bunch of trouble. I was in another church, Lander, that was about three hours in Wyoming time, uh, three hours away. And then on my way home from Sunday morning in Lander, I would stop in Dubois where some people wanted to essentially plant a church. So it wasn't really a church plant, but it was kind of like a church plant, and so there was a lot of work to be done there. And then I would stop again in Moran, Wyoming, which was about an hour out of Jackson or 45 minutes out of Jackson and and I would do another Bible study there because they wanted a Bible study. And then there was a church that I never really got to serve at nearly as much because I was just so busy, but I did do... I, I was very much involved nonetheless, even though not as much as I would want. I love the guy. But he, that was up in Teton Valley, so that was over the hill. And then there was another four-square church that was down in Star Valley, which was another hour and a half. and. That was blowing up. And so Foursquare had me helping out on that transition. And then I was the chaplain of Jackson Hole Ski Mountain. So there was that ministry and the stuff that came with it. And then and then and then and then and then, then. Okay, so, so when it came time for us to leave Jackson, Julie and I were tired. I mean, we were worn out. And there was this church down in Colorado that I, I wouldn't have gone to and that's why we didn't. But there was a church in Colorado that was 800 people, and it had a school, and it had been there forever. And I talked to Jim Hayford, who's the one who called me out here, and to come look at a church that he made it clear at the very beginning. He said, "I want to tell you." He said, "This is a church that's in real serious trouble. There's about 40 people left. It's had some hard times." He's, you know, he didn't tell me this, and I found this one out later that the tithe was less than the mortgage. And it was just was there was just, a, and you know, I'd been doing a bunch of problems. I was ready for relax. I was ready to sort of slide in. And Jim Hayford didn't know he was saying this to me, but he couldn't have said a worse thing to me because what he said was, he said, you don't want to go there. That church is so healthy, you won't have to do anything. (laughs) I was like, yeah, (laughs) exactly. (laughs) You know? But this is where God called us. And many of the people who were in that original 35, 40 people are still sitting here. And you know how much work there was to do that first year. I mean, there was a lot of stuff that we did a lot of stuff. It was a, here's the point. It was actually a glorious time. I was tired. But when I did what the Lord told me to do, I got rest for my soul. I got rejuvenated. I got resurrected. When I got through that first season of the church with the wonderful people that were here, took about a year, maybe a little more than a year. When I got through that first sort of move of the church, I was completely rested and ready to dig into the next thing that was coming, some of which have been quite hard, right, quite a lot of work. But do you understand, when you do the things that God is telling you to do, even if you're tired, if it's the thing that God's called you to, he knows that you're tired, and he can do something that'll completely refresh. In fact, you'll be a lot more refreshed in obeying and doing than you would have ever been by relaxing. See it? So there's a real principle in here. What we're supposed to be doing is what God says. Not everything, we're not supposed to be doing everything. Anything that ever, oh, I'm supposed to to do that. If you get into that thing, that's gonna burn you out. But if you get to the point where, when God quickens you, you respond then amazing things can happen. Now, that's exactly what happened with the disciples. Watch their response. They say, we have, no more, we have no more than five loaves and two fish. Unless we go and buy some food for these people, look at what their response is. They're saying, look, we could go and buy some food, right? Is that what you want us to do? So even though they're tired, they're not saying, they're not dragging their heels, not moping around. What they're saying is, is you're telling us to feed them. Okay, how? Do we go get food? What do we do? right? So their hearts are in the right place. They're willing to do what he's asking them to do, right? God blessed the disciples. Well, he did, didn't he? Then he told his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. They did so. And had them all sit down. And then he took five loaves and two fish. And looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke them. And he kept giving them to the disciples to set before the crowd. Everyone ate and was filled. And they picked up 12 baskets of leftover pieces much more than they'd started with. Now, i looked at all the stories you can too. I wanna to make something clear. It's, it appears to be just the 12 disciples that were helping him, okay? It appears that what he was doing was Jesus was giving them enough food, and this is speculation a little bit, but I think I'm, I think I'm on somewhat solid ground to say this. It appears what was happening was Jesus would load up a disciple with enough food for 50 people. And then they would walk it to the 50 people who had gathered, and they would give it to those 50 people, and they would go back and get another load. Like, you know, they wear those tunics, and they could take them and fill them up. Like, maybe they were doing that, or maybe they had some other kind of cloth or whatever. But the point is, is they were putting food in, and it seems to be that they were taking them out, giving it to them, coming back, getting more food, and going out. And they did this to 5,000 people plus men and women. So I want us to experience this that they experienced, and here's why. Do you know that this is one of the very few stories that's found in all four Gospels? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John tend to have a lot of stories to the same. Or Matthew, Mark, and Luke tend to have a lot of stories of the same. John doesn't have a lot of their stories, and he has other stories. This is one of the few stories that's found in all four Gospels. What does that mean? Well, it had an impact on them. Two of the books are written by disciples, the other two are essentially mouthpieces. It's not exactly that way, but the other two are, are essentially mouthpieces for two disciples, right? So the bottom line is, is this was something that made a huge difference in them, and as they're trying to tell us what Jesus is all about, they're telling us the thing that really made a difference in them, and all four disciples make a point to tell this story. And by the way, almost virtually identical. There's just a little added information in each one, right? So this is something, if we're trying to be discipled the way that Jesus discipled his disciples, we need to experience this, don't we? So I want you to experience it with me, here we go. We're gonna do a little math. I promised there would be no math on the test, but I lied, okay? Total people, let's say there was 7,500. It was, it, culturally we could argue for that because women didn't always do this kind of thing. Now, it's, I say that and it's not, it's sens- it's not actually true. Because actually women were more prone to go out and be with religious people. But, but there's still an argument that can be made that the, the going around and doing the way that they did it was more something that guy would do in that period of time, and the woman w- would be not there as much. So I'm just being trying to be very, very conservative with you. Let's say there were 7,500 people when you add in the women and children, okay? Groups of 50 makes 150 groups, roughly, right? The number of disciples is 12. The groups per disciple, therefore, is approximately 12. They had 12 different groups that they had to collect food, go back, and give it to them. Now, 5,000 people. How large of an area is that? And they're seated in groups of 50. So it takes a little while to walk over there, give them the food, walk back, be filled up with food, and then take it to the next group, right? So how long do you think that would take, roughly, on average? I'm going to say seven minutes. Why? Because I like seven, okay? Okay. But I, I've thought about it, you know what I mean? And I think that's probably fairly close, right? All right, so we'll go with seven. That seems reasonable to me, okay? That means the total time to pass out the food was 84 minutes or almost an hour and a half. Now, you've got to enter in. When you're first passing out this food, what, what are you feeling? When you're first walking around carrying this food and then you go back, you know there was five loaves and two fishes. You're the ones that did it. You're the, you saw what he had to start with, Right? And now you're filling up with much more than that, and you're taking, with the first couple of groups that you go to, what do you feel in your heart, roughly? Joy, incredibleness, this is awesome, right? Wow, this is the coolest thing ever, I've never seen anything like this, this is awesome, right? But after, you know, 20 minutes, joy wears, right? Now what are you starting to think? well I wouldn't go that far he was saying when is this going to be over I actually think that they weren't thinking that I, think, I don't think they were getting weary with the task I think they started going what the heck is going on here think about it as, as they pick up the food and they're walking they have time to think so the processing what the heck is this what the heck is that what the heck is going on here here take this and they're going back. I think they start, I think they go from joy to, oh, oh, After an hour, what do you think they start to think? I think eventually you get to this place. Why are you doing this? Not accusationally. What's your heart? that you would do this for an hour and a half? That you would multiply bread and have us experience this provision for other people for an hour and a half? What are you trying to communicate, Jesus? What's the answer? Yeah, I love this congregation. I love these people. I love them. I'm I love them and I'm providing for them that's what my that's why I'm doing this that's who I I love them I'm pouring out you see it I think that by the time that you're done watch I lay hands on you and you get healed and you were watching as a disciple how long does that a experience take let's be generous In in Scripture, it's very interesting. We don't have long prayers and long time for people to get healed or delivered or anything else. Jesus just says, be healed, or he does a little something else, right? Like spits in their eye, which is, anyway. But (laughs) I've been doing that all day. (laughs) You should have like 20 eyes by now. But do you see it? something that happens fast like this is really something. But you know that principle of what something sticky is? Sticky means that something happened in such a way as that it started to make a difference. The kind of thing that four different disciples would all remember vividly so as to be able to tell the exact same story because they wanted to make it clear what an incredible thing was happening at this moment. And they wanted other people to experience what they were experiencing in it. They wanted to share it. Do You see? This is what's happening. God is giving them something to see, wow, this is who he is. This is what he does. And he does it not just to feed them. He does it because he loves them. He provides for them. He heals them. He cares for them. He loves them. Right? That's the why. That's the heart behind everything that's taking place. Now, do you understand this is precisely who we know Jesus to be, right? Because we see, for example, and there's only one, this is only one of many, although he was a son, God's son, although he was a son, he learned obedience. Wait a minute, it's Jesus. This is eternally God. Yes, he's emptied himself as divine attributes that he might walk as a man. In other words, not in his miracle strength that he could have as God. But he, he would walk as one of us. But you have to understand, he learned something? How could Jesus learn Anything? Seriously. He learned something. And through obedience, or obedience is what he learned? Through what he suffered. And that made him perfect? That he could become the source of eternal salvation to all who obeyed him. You see it? He learned obedience through suffering. Now when we hear that, what, what, what should we think of? The cross. That's us being defined, right? The cross. The fact that Jesus himself obeyed God at every moment of his life, but there's these people that he loves that didn't. And so they got separated from him. And so Jesus going to the cross goes up on the cross and allows himself to be separated from God. If only but for some moment or whatever it was. But when Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There is a moment of separation of some kind that Jesus has taken on. And that's the most suffering that he will ever do in his life. Much worse than the beatings and the crowns and everything else. To be eternally one with God and then for a moment to be taking on the separation that was due you and me is the worst thing that he ever suffered, isn't it? Why did he do that? Looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Joy, cross, what's that mean? Here's what that means, real simple. Why did Jesus go to the cross? Because he loved you, 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 me. I want to tell you something bad trade, Jesus. You got me out of the deal? You know, joy? No. You know, maybe you had to. Right? Have you ever lost anybody that was incredibly close to you, maybe through death, maybe through separation of some other kind? Have you ever lost somebody that you loved with everything that you had? Have you? What would you do to get them back? If you knew that there was something that you could do to get them back, is there anything that you wouldn't do to get a person like that back? No. You would endure anything to have them back. Right? For the joy that was set before, served God, obeyed God, And when we understand that about Jesus, doesn't it make this richer? It's not just that he washed feet to show them that he was a servant. All of a sudden, don't you feel a love in what he's doing? As he bends before them, God bends before you and washes your feet Can you begin to feel that you, it is not, I am my beloved's and he is mine, as if I'm somehow in this equation in an equal fashion. Can you begin to feel that this is about being his? That this is about knowing him who was from the beginning, who loved you beyond life itself. Right? So I told you earlier that there's this funny little thing that churches do when it comes to serving. And it's this, here's what we do. We gussy up serving in the, with, with some spiritual overtone. In other words, what we need as churches, we need chair setup. We need bulletins passed out. We need coffee made. We need food made. We need all of these things. And so what churches do is, and they mean it. Now, I don't think they know that they're fooling themselves. What they do is, is they say, we really need this. And, and by the way, when you do this, do it. And this is the scripture that they'll use. Do it, whenever you do it, do it enthusiastically. He's talking to slaves, by the way, here. As something done for the Lord and not for men. Knowing that you will receive a reward of an inheritance from the Lord, you will serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and this isn't the worst thing in the world. This is true. The king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of these, Jesus is saying, when you do it to the least of these, you were doing it to me. This is true, and what churches will do is they will gussy up the serving with this kind of, you're doing it under Christ, and the people who are going to sit in these chairs may find Jesus today, and isn't that wonderful? And it is quite inspiring so that you can do the chairs in a different spirit, right? Than just the chairs need to be set up. And that's not horrible. The problem is, and this is where it gets me, this is, what, this is where my peeve is. The, the problem is, is that the churches are fooling themselves Because they haven't really communicated what God wants to do. They've kind of manipulated. Did you see this? Do you get it? I'm I'm not trying to throw churches under the bus or anything like that. I'm just trying to say, I have to be careful of my own motives. And here's what I have to say. If I'm going to ask you to set up chairs, you know why I'm asking you to set up chairs? Because we need chairs set up. Okay? I'm not going to gussy it up. I'm not going to put a veneer on it. You know what a veneer is? A veneer is taking, this is a really nice piece of furniture. You see that a little burl wood on there and, and so on. But you see the veneer on top is coming off. You know what that means? There's a really cheap piece of wood underneath that. And then they put a nice piece of wood on top to make it look nice. And I think we do a whole lot of things in our life in a veneer fashion. You know what God wants to do? He wants to build something out of that wood entirely. So that it's beautiful in all. It's beautiful throughout. Now, I'm telling you, when I ask you to set up chairs or do ushers or Julie usher or anything else, it's because we need chairs and we need bulletins and we need ushers. And thank you, God, for the people who are willing to do that, whether you're sacrificial on it or it's natural to you. I don't care. Thank you for doing it. Thank you for serving, Alex. Okay? Thank you for serving, Roger. I, I need to stop this because I'll end up thanking the whole church, okay? But do you understand? I need to be clear about what my motives are. But I need to be clear about something else too. As a pastor, if you will, and I'm having to go backwards here, if you will do it enthusiastically as something done for the Lord and not for men, knowing that he has something in it, if you will enter in the king, if you you will do it to the least of these as if you were doing it to me, There's a ministry principle that kicks in. Here's the first part of the ministry principle. If you don't do anything, what's going to happen? If you never say yes, what's going to happen? Nothing, right? Nothing. The chairs aren't going to get set up. Okay, problem. But what's going to happen in you if you don't do it? If, you didn't, if the disciples had decided, we're too tired to pass out the fish, ask somebody else. One of the most important things that happened in all of human history would not have been experienced by the people that God had called to communicate that to us. They would not have experienced one of the most important things that happened in the whole of their lives. By saying yes to the thing that God had quickened, by doing it as unto the Lord, by doing it in a spirit to say, it doesn't mean every time you set up chairs it's going to be a miracle. What it does mean is what's the heart that you're doing when you're setting up a chair, when you're doing a service, when you're doing something. Is it something God has quickened? First of all, I really want to press that. And then if God has quickened it, enter into it expectantly. Because he didn't just do it to get the chair set up. That's what Kurt wants. But God has something else in mind. Do you see it? So if you don't do anything, nothing's going to happen. But if you do something then anything could happen. But right now, we're not home, are we? That's as far as we normally get in this discussion about serving. Let me make it clear where I think God's trying to get us. And if you do everything as a loving response to Him, as led by Him, then God will happen. And when God happens, We're going, first, wow. And then we're going, Ah. And then as we keep doing for him the way that he wants us to do, we start going, who are you? And then he starts showing us who he is. <laughs> and you start coming to know him who was from the beginning. You start coming to know I am my beloved's. He is the pearl of great value that we're to go and sell everything that we have. I got saved 40 years ago. And I didn't even go to church for six months. I didn't know you were supposed to. I didn't have any Christian background. I made it up as I went along. I read the Bible and I talked to God and he seemed to be leading me, so I hope he was the one making it up, but I'm sure I added plenty to it. But six months later, I started going I went to Julian and I went, geez, I'm a Christian now. I think aren't you supposed to go to church? I, the only time I'd ever been in church, honest to God that I can remember, my girlfriend was playing and singing. And I went to go watch her, and I walked out of it going, That's the dumbest thing I've ever been a part of. That was just stupid. I don't understand any of that. But I started, I went to church, and I started, this thing that God was doing in me was so wonderful, I started sharing it with other people, and all of a sudden people started coming to the Lord. And then people had problems, and we started to be able to minister to people. We were students in college and we were getting to minister to all these other students in college <laughs> and then I got baptized in the holy spirit and then I started leading hundreds of people in the baptism of the holy spirit and I started doing marriages and I started doing this and I started doing that I want to tell you something it wasn't for for 15 years I did not serve because the church needed a chair set up. In fact, embarrassingly, honest to goodness, truth, I didn't even realize until this sermon right now, I actually didn't serve in church until I started getting paid. (laughs) Fifteen years after I became a Christian. That was the first, I, I, I raised private support, realized this is what God wanted me to do, raised private support, and I was helping a church. And that's the first time I actually started doing anything in church. Now, I went to church, and I was faithful, I tithed. I think the pastors would have said, yeah, he's a great member. But the fact of the matter was, I was just doing all kinds of service and ministry and all kinds of things. And when I went into the church, it just felt totally seamless. I was still doing it outside the church walls and inside the church walls. It was just more the same. I can tell you, I didn't start helping people because I got paid. For 15 years, we had ministered to literally hundreds of people. It was what we did, it was our life. And 25 years past that date, it's still our life. This is what we've done since I got saved. Why? Because it's awesome. <laughs> because when you serve, when you do something, God can start doing something. <laughs> and when God started doing something, you start learning about Him. Much more deeply. And when you learn him about much more deeply, you don't even have to think about whether or not you want to serve. It's just the most easy, obvious, natural thing you could ever it's like breathing now. And the reward for breathing is God <laughs> who loves you, who's got you in the palm of his hand that's been holding you tight since before there was a you. Lord, in Jesus' holy and precious name, we come before the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I've done something out of order here. I'm sorry, I need to stop. Would you do me a favor? Would you pick this up? Would you take this out of your packet? If you are serving, would you please fill this out anyway? And just let us know that you're happy where you're serving. If you're not totally happy if you'd like to do a change whether you're happy or just feel like it's time for change you want to do something new to be invigorated whatever tell us that okay so the first section is just who are you the second section is what's your interests when you get to the back page you know where would you like to serve so it's kind of what are your interests where would you like to serve because you may not like particularly kids but you may be really good at publishing and kids ministry needs some publishing see what i mean you don't have to say i can't serving kids ministry, whatever you're good at, we'll match the need and the ministry as best we can. Do you see it? If you don't have one of these, please raise your hand so that guys can pass them out to you. And there's, in the middle here too, there's people behind you, okay? So, all right, thank you. And there's pens in front of you, so keep your hands up until you get one. I'm gonna say a prayer. We're gonna take an offering. We're going to take communion, then we're going to take an offering. And what I want you to do is, is I want you to fill this out before you leave. Actually, if you could start filling it. I don't know how to do this anymore. All of a sudden, I've totally lost flow because I think we need to do it differently. Wanda and Amy are going to be at the back door. And would you just do me a favor? Would you just fill it out and give it to Wanda and Amy as they're at the back door? We were going to maybe put it in the basket. If you're done and you can put it in the basket, fine, go ahead uh, when the offering comes. But... Bottom line is, take the time that you need to, and here's why. I don't want you to do what it seems like you need to do. I want you to do what God's telling you to do. Why? Because if you do what God's telling you to do, he's telling you to do it for more than just because he needs it done. (laughs) He's telling you to do something because he has something in it for you. And I want every person in here to experience what God has for them in a deeper way. So Lord, in Jesus' holy and precious name, we come before the throne of Almighty God. You who are King, Lord, surpassingly so. In Jesus' holy and precious name, I'm asking you, Lord. Would you speak to our hearts right now? Would you get us connected with the places that since before the foundations of the world, you had prepared this work for us? Before there wasn't us, you had this thing for us to do where we would find you more deeply, more richly, more incredibly. Would you please, would you, would you move right now, Holy Spirit, on this congregation? Holy Spirit, come, fill, move, quicken. Let people know what to do. In Jesus' name, we reach down. and.